Good morning again. We are rounding third, heading home to this series. We started seven weeks ago. Does that sound about right? Yeah, seven-ish weeks ago. And uh, we're asking a bunch of questions. We're asking questions of our church. We're asking questions of our faith, of our purpose. And so today, the last question, not the last part to the last question, Jeff is going to finish us out next week. Um, but the big question on our minds this week is, is there a place for me in that purpose? Which is a continuation of what we did last week, which is, do you have a purpose? When people come to this church, when they ask that question of us, what is our answer? Do we, as the Boulder Church, have a purpose? And in this last question, um, not that any of the others before this point haven't needed special care or consideration, but this one I think especially needs this care and attention brought to it so that we can uh, best understand ourselves and best understand what people are experiencing when they come to us. And in order to do that, same as last week, um, I always appreciate how complimentary Jeff has been to me in all of the sermons saying that I've, I've got a, a strong voice on these topics. I would like to think my strong voice comes from those who have an even stronger voice. And so we're going to use Paul again this week. Last week we did Ephesians. This week we're going to go through Galatians. And when I say go through Galatians, I mean we're going to go through Galatians. And so to prep yourself ahead of time, if you don't have a book on a device in front of you, reach into your pew back. There is a Bible there. I am reading out of the exact same Bible you'll be reading out of. So my translation is your translation here. We'll be on the exact same page together. We're going to go through all of Galatians. Where are my people from the journey? Are my journey people here somewhere? All right. Shout out to all the journey people. Mark, who's watching at home, who did Galatians a couple of weeks ago. My apologies. I know that you just went through this, but we're going to do it again. We're going to run through it just because it begs the question of, do you have a place for me in that purpose in a time other than ours, which I think gives us a rubric to understand what we can do in this time. I think Paul is the one here who speaks powerfully on what it means to be part of a community driven by purpose. Now, Jackie just read through Galatians 3, but in order to stand pers understand the perspective and the context for that section, we'll go a little bit before and then we'll go way past into and through chapter 6 so that we can uh, fully understand what's going on there. If we can understand that, hopefully we can understand ourselves and this church together. Before we do that, let's pray. Father God, it is good to be in this place. And God, I'm excited to hear your word today for us to read through this book of Galatians. Through Some of us uh, have read it recently. Some of us have gone through this in our connect groups. Uh, we're excited to see what we have learned since that time, what you'll reveal to us now in this new context. And so God, reveal yourself today. As we rest in your word, we just ask you to move in this place. Guide us and let us know where it is we are meant to be in that purpose so that we can open it up for others to have a place in it as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week, for those of you who were here, I left you on the bank of the Javik, and you had homework. Your goal was to wrestle with whatever was getting in the way of keeping you from your blessing. So for those of you who did that, welcome. Anybody feeling joint pain this week? A little hip out of place? A few of you? Kensley, maybe for multiple reasons in that regard. There's a, hopefully a good pain rather than a, a problematic pain. Because for Jacob, who started as Jacob, 
crossed the river, met with his family, met with his belongings again, did not arrive as he had left his family. He actually became Israel in that moment. And so we're going to follow that story, except we're going to fast forward through time. We're going to go to the book of Galatians, as I said. Um, we're going to see what happened to Israel. And what happened to Israel, unfortunately, results in failings. And so we're going to talk about the failings of Israel and understand what that means for them and understand what it could mean for us. Jeff set up this, this beautiful uh, understanding of where we might be for the Boulder Church if there were two doors that were open, one that leads uh, like it did for the church at Philadelphia, and then this other one at Sardis. And we don't want to be the church at Sardis, but maybe we do want to be the church at Philadelphia. And we find ourselves in a, another two-door situation, not these two same doors, but doors of Israel, the understanding of Israel. Do we want to become this Israel or that Israel. And for us, it's something that we need to continue to wrestle with. I feel like I can put a little bit of pressure on Jeff, having no idea what he's preaching next week. But if I just say right here, whatever he's going to do next week is going to answer all of the questions that I leave for you here. And we'll just know, we'll know the answer to all of them. He's going to tackle the meaning of life. Why do bad things happen to good people? I think he's going he's gonna to do it all. He's got 35 minutes. He's going to do great. And I'm excited to find out what door we go through because it really is going to be at the end, whether Jeff answers our questions or not, it's going to be up to us. It's going to be up to as a church what we decide to do and how we're going to move forward. Here's the good news. I'm going to start with the gospel right off the bat. The good news is this. Israel at the bank of the Jabbok with a busted hip and a new name was given a promise. And many, many years later, as we read through the failings of Israel... The good news is this, that promise that was given to Jacob, who became Israel that day, God remembered. God upheld it. God kept it. God cherished that promise, regardless of what happened in between these two places. Despite all of the failings, God did not give up on the promise. Despite all the attempts to correct which they did, which Israel did to correct away from their sins, which unfortunately their corrections led to the oppression of others, God kept his promise. Israel was never a lost cause. Now, they may have been lost in their way at times, but even in their wandering, God upheld this covenant. Even when Israel acted less than honorable, God never turned his back to the children that he cherished. And that's the good news. And I started sort of similarly last week. If that's the only thing you hear this week, then take that and rest in that because that is the good news. That is the one thing that we need to hold on to. No matter where this story takes us, that is the good piece here. As we look in on Israel in the book of Galatians, we have to understand what it means to be Israel's offspring and let it serve as a reminder of what God still has in store for his children despite all of the things that have happened since he gave it. So, for those entering into the church of Galatia, they were begging these five questions. I would contend. I don't know that we necessarily took this from Paul's writings, but these five questions I think were being begged by this church in Galatia. And you should know that when we read the book of Galatians, you think to yourself like, oh, it was to the church in Galatia. It was actually multiple churches. So this letter went to multiple places, giving them all the same message. And we're going to talk about the historical context of why and why that was important and why Paul was influential and why he was continuing 
to be influential as he moved forward. But we're going to try and focus in on whether or not we can find in these churches of Galatia, whether or not they figured out the answer to the question, is there a place for them within this purpose? Because here's the thing, if you go through, and we can, we can crack this open together now. So I'm on page 1,154 in the Bible that's in your pew back. If you're using a different Bible, I don't know what page you're on, but somewhere in the 1,000 seems like a reasonable place to start. The book of Galatians. There is this understanding of Paul, who was in this place, who left this place, and then when he left, a bunch of things happened. Not necessarily good things. Not necessarily the best things. Now, they were different things. They were a different type of gospel, one might say. I might contend with the fact that they didn't necessarily leave the gospel. They were just applying it in a different way. Um, but for these churches in Galatia, there are two distinct groups. So the first group that we read through is you're reading through chapter one, and we'll go through pieces and parts, and I'll read things along the way. But the two groups were the Messianic Jews, and the second were the non-Jewish Christians. These two groups came together to make up these churches. So imagine the Boulder Church made up of two distinct ethnic groups. And that worked for a time as long as Paul was there. But then Paul left. And when Paul left, these two groups had a harder time coming together. As a matter of fact, they actually started to pull apart. And in pulling apart, they thought, well, that's not how we're supposed to be. Let's put it back. Let's just decide how we're going to put it back. And unfortunately, they didn't put it back where they left it. They moved it. And when they moved it, the dissonance happens. Because of that, Paul feels the need to write this letter. And so Israel, or the Messianic Jews, had a specific set of laws. And these laws were incredibly important to them. There were threefold. In order to be a Messianic Jew and to follow in the Messiah, you had to do these three things. The first and foremost, circumcision. You had to be circumcised if you were a male. The second one is you have to keep a kosher diet. Not keeping a kosher diet, you're not considered a Messianic Jew. And the third one, near and dear to our hearts, you had to keep the Sabbath. These three things make you, within this community, a viable member in good standing. Not following these things became a problem. And unfortunately, if we cut this group in half, let's see if I cut a hole right, right here, so to Victoria and her right, and then everybody to your left, like, um, Victoria, I'll let you choose. Do you want to be a Messianic Jew or do you want to be a non-Jewish Christian? Oh, I love that you split with your family, too. You moved over from your dad and said, those are the Jews. I am a Christian. That was fantastic. So there's, there's your cut. Everybody on this side, your captain is Victoria, who literally just broke away from her family rights to make this happen. Everybody over here is a Messianic Jew. So those of you keeping the Sabbath, good for you. You all keep a kosher diet. I see a couple of coffee cups. We should talk about that. Maybe you should sit on that side just for a time. No, you're good. You're fine. Uh, and then this other understanding of circumcision. We don't need to go into specifics there or pointing at distinct people. The problem is you over here, I mean, yeah, you're cool with the Sabbath, and that's fine. But you know what also is delicious? Bacon. Am I right, Christians? Amen. I love that all of you are like within this Adventist context playing this game, and I feel like some of you are like, amen. I, I mean, if you're good, safe place. And then this understanding of circumcision. Unfortunately, for the majority of you, circumcision was not part of your upbringing, and so you're not. And so in this church, 
we are divided and we sit on opposite sides of the church and we can't let that happen as long as Paul is here you were mixed together Paul leaves everybody stays separate the belief over here is that in order for you to stay in this church Christians you're gonna need to start following these rules that we find in the Torah and so that's what Paul is coping with in this first section is this group of people one day after church when the message was over in that 15 minutes we had between the church service and the connect groups this group of people came over to this group of people and they all had a huddle and they were like all right everybody uh i guess if we're using football terms like it's uh man-to-man coverage everybody get another player go over there and then defend against them and tell them they need to start following the torah and that for you all doesn't feel so good and so for the most part paul is writing to you first and to you in the second half of Galatians. And so there's a historical context for what we're going through. That's just chapter one, all the way through in different words. You can also really tell if you're reading this later, if you're reading this now, Paul definitely is not writing with his hand. He is definitely dictating. And you can tell as we go through um, the Jackie, where'd Jackie go? Jackie, what version did you use today? The contemporary English, which is really interesting because it does have a a more conversational version in the ESV especially. Paul kind of sounds like he's babbling through some stuff where he's like, well, the law is really important, but let me explain. The law is important and it's in scripture. It's not like it's tidy. It doesn't look like uh, a, a line of notes. It looks like a transcript. And so Paul is speaking these things out, hoping to communicate with everybody at the same time. His goal is to build the gospel back. Paul has built this gospel, he's left, and now the gospel is being taken over by the Torah, by these uh, uh, Messianic Jewish people against the non-Jewish Christians. And so he resets it basically in uh, one single line. If you want to know what the gospel for Paul is, it's chapter 2, verse 16. You're on the next page if you're in the Pew Bible, 1,155. Verse 16 says, Yet we know a person is not justified by the works of the law, Messianic Jews, but through faith in Jesus Christ, my non-Jewish Christians, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is now taking the room and squishing you back together by taking away something from you and elevating something from them. The business model here is Jesus first, not the law first. And so in trying to build this, Jesus speaks to the messianic nature of the Jews. You guys are still into Jesus. That's awesome. Jesus is the forefront, not the Torah. And for you, Jesus is still at the forefront, not the Torah. And now you can come together to make that happen. The gospel message is that we are justified through our faith in the Messiah. Now, justified is a really specific term, and we should break it down. Justified, in this case, means to be declared righteous, which is what all of you have in common. The goal is to be declared righteous. You're doing it through the identity of law, and you're doing it through the identity of faith, but your goal is still the same. And so Jesus puts you on equal, I'm sorry, Paul puts you on equal platform by pointing to the fact that we hope to be declared righteous by Jesus. In order to do that, you have to then come to terms with the fact that to be justified, to become righteous, you want to be in right relationship with God. It's relationship first. The second one is you want in your declaration of becoming righteous to be forgiven and to be given a place in God's family. And the third one is that this declaration of transformation is only done by grace. 
So in doing so, it's relationship first. That relationship makes you a part of the family. And the third one is that it happens by grace. So if you are going to be transformed by Jesus, this very simple truth becomes evident. What becomes true about Jesus in your transformation becomes true about you. What is true about Jesus in your transformation then becomes true about you as you are justified. You can actually see this written out in verse 20. So again, Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The thing that I was is no longer the thing that I am, because in becoming justified, that which is true about Jesus becomes true about me. Chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians. Let's keep going. Chapters 3 and 4. Now, this is where uh, Paul gets into his proof texting pretty hard. So Paul's a scholar, a theologian, wants to talk about all the reasons why this is the case. And so now, in speaking in defense of these non-Jewish Christians, he talks to the Messianic Jews, and he does so using your book. All right, so he goes back to the Old Testament, and we see here that he speaks about Abraham, the genesis of this faith. You'll find it in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15. We know that Abraham was also justified in his faith. And because of this, God promises that all nations will be blessed through you and your offspring. We find that uh, Direct quote in Genesis 12, verse 3. And so now, using this as a platform, I'm speaking to you, Messianic Jews. You know that Abraham, the father of your lineage, was blessed, was justified, and therefore you are the offspring of his blessing. You are a part of that story. And now I'm going to use that as a launch pad to talk about the true difference between law and the faith. And so now that you're back in, because it may have felt like to the Messianic Jews, like, hey, that's not really fair. You're kind of just playing to them. Like, first of all, yeah. Second of all, let me show you why. It's not just because I like them more than I like you. It's that I want you to live harmoniously with one another. And there's a way for you to understand it that they won't get. But it's important for you to have this in the forefront of your mind. Paul contends that the purpose of this law that came after the promise to Abraham. So Abraham receives the promise. He has been blessed. He and his offspring will be blessed and all nations underneath them. Unfortunately, after that promise, you guys and your historical lineage didn't exactly follow all the rules. So to contend with that, the best thing that we can do is put the law in place, understanding these two very simple principles. These laws that we're putting in place are temporary. These are not meant to be forever. Understanding because they're temporary, we are only here to bolster your attitude of understanding that you are the promised people. It is to contend against all of the things that came against the promise and to uphold the promise that was given to you because unfortunately, you need it. That unfortunately had two results. Those two results are the first one is that everyone is now suddenly imprisoned under the power of sin. You see this in Galatians 3, verse 22. Uh, sorry, verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So there's that piece, that temporary element. 
The idea is, hey, there was a law. Unfortunately, we all got captured in the law because when you heard about the law, you found out you broke the law and that makes you feel bad. So you go back to upholding the law so that you won't break it again. But then of course you do. So you go back to the law and we just keep in this vicious cycle. The goal was not to keep it though. The goal was not to keep you imprisoned by this thing. And once you understand that it's an imprisonment, when you use it incorrectly, we need to have a place where the law is removed. And so it says, until Christ came, that offspring who came, that we might be justified by faith. Boom. Again, we're back to the justification conversation. And now the room is smashed back together again. It's Jesus who justifies us, not the law. So unfortunately, the law has created this imprisonment, but also it was a good thing in that those times in which we could have gone outside of God's will, the law actually helped us from going astray. And so it kept us in, but unfortunately by keeping us in, it now has created walls, and those walls are starting to feel like a prison. Unfortunately, Israel does fail, but even still the good news remains. The promise was still kept. This temporary law, uh, broken by this offspring, becomes now a blessing, and this is the key part for everybody. And this is the hardest piece of this puzzle, especially for this half of the room, which I see Victoria is now sort of on the line. No, 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 stay where you are. I want you to stick with your dad. I just, you know, I'm going to watch Victoria to see how this is going, or she's like, I definitely want to be more Christian, or I want to be more Messianic Jew. We'll just see the barometer of how she switches. But for now, starting to move closer to the side, maybe half and half of her is, is Jewish and half is non-Jewish Christian. But this idea of who the blessing is now for. Because if we keep this line where it's at, there's going to be a problem. Because ultimately, you know you have the blessing. Because you know that God gave it to your ancestors. They aren't a part of the same historical lineage. So you're actually good if we don't open it up for everybody else. But if you don't open it up for everybody else, the blessing sort of loses the weight. It sort of loses the magic of it all. And the magic, I mean, not in like the magical magician style, but the idea of God actually didn't come just for you. He came for everybody. And so open it up to everybody, despite all of the things that seem to keep us separate. Paul answers the question that is begged of him as he goes through chapter 5 and chapter 6, which is, if the laws teach us about, and I'm speaking for this half of the room and half of Victoria, If the laws teach us about God's will, doesn't that make them good? To which Paul contends in chapter 5, the answer is yes. They are good, but they are also bad, and we need to be aware of both. The second question is, if the laws teach us about God's will, if we don't teach them God's will, how will they learn? Good question, all of you in half of Victoria. The answer, Paul says in chapter 6, is very simple. It's not actually the law. It's the Spirit the spirit which runs through all of this. And so in as much as you want to uphold these laws, what we need to do is uphold the movement of the spirit. And so Jesus, who fulfilled the law, lives in us through the spirit and makes us, all of us, new. So now there really is no distinction, which takes us back to what Jackie read at the end. There is no difference between Jew and Greek, slave or free, male or female, which is kind of an interesting piece for us today because we like to be distinct. We like to be who we are. We like to be forward-facing in what we're about. We want to speak our truth. 
And unfortunately, something like this, if taken out of context, Paul is starting to say, well, actually, you're all kind of one and the same. Uh, it's hard for me in today's culture. It's hard for me in today's society to think that. But the reality is not to make you all the same version of gray. And it's not even to change the culture. It's to open up the church to say we've got to stop creating these dividing lines between them and they, us and them, who is in and who's out. And that's where the divisions are happening. And so Paul breaks them down and says, once you take in the spirit of Jesus that is in all of us, then we are all of us instead of those and them, us and they. By dying on the cross, Jesus takes out our old humanity and instead replenishes us with the fruits of the spirit, which we see happen through all of chapter six. And Paul contends it's fruit that we need to cultivate. It's not just something that's like, then there you go. Once you are justified, then it's fruit and you don't have to worry about it. It'll grow on its own. It'll take care of itself. It'll, you know, tend to itself. That's not true. Paul goes further and says in, now this is chapter six, verse 25. It says, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. And so once you have that in you, no matter what side you're on, the goal for all of us is to keep in step with the Spirit, therefore not keeping in step with the law. And keeping in step with the Spirit, understand that this is a process and this is a faith journey. Now, I'm, I'm going to go back to Jeff here in saying that if we're going to look at somebody to guide us through what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, inasmuch as he gave me credit for speaking strongly on, the, on this identity of purpose, Jeff speaks incredibly strongly about what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, to understand how the Spirit is moving in your own life, not just there in the life of the church. We need a guidance counselor through all of it, and we have one. So I'm excited to know what Jeff's going to do with part two of this, because there is this piece of the puzzle. Is there a place for me within that purpose? we have to first understand whether or not we individually and collectively are in step with this spirit. This is one part of the process. Paul says in having this moment of becoming justified, the spirit plants a seed in all of us to take the analogy a little bit further. But we have got to water it. We've got to feed it. We have to fertilize it. We have to tend to it. And as it matures, our goal is to process it so that we can show the world what it is that God has done in us. Not necessarily what we have done. The triumph isn't, look what I did. It's what God has done in us. And now the room opens entirely back. And I'm going to stop splitting you into groups. So, Victoria, you can sit directly next to your dad if you want to and feel no condemnation for either side. But this idea of what it means to be us is ultimately solved in the book of Galatians. You can't argue this fact any further. If you believe the story of Abraham, if you believe what happened to Jesus on the cross is real, then these things come together in order to break down all the walls between us. Is there a place for the Galatians in that purpose? Yes, because now they are the Galatians instead of the Galatians as the Messianic Jews and the Galatians as the non-Jewish Christians. There is a place for them in that purpose because they are all one in the same. Now recognize this. If we do this individually, we will find ourselves as a new creation. You will become a new creation. We see this in verse 15 uh, in, in chapter 6. It says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. So this side of the room versus that side of the room. But you become a new creation. That's the piece I want to key on. This new creation restored to the image of God that we were back in Genesis where Abraham received this 
blessing. We are then raised by the Father, sustained by the Spirit, and led by the Son, walking and living with purpose. And that's the goal for you as Christians, as Galatians. And if done collectively, if we all do this together, we as a church become a family of the Messiah. Not divided by any reason, but we together become this multi-ethnic family. In doing that, we are full of the faith that is in Jesus and not in the law. We love God and love others in the power of the Spirit, and this becomes our purpose, in which you absolutely have a place. And so that is not to answer all the questions, and that is not to say that, Jeff, there's nothing more to preach. There's plenty more to preach on this, but it begs the question for us, as you look at this moment today, stepping away from Galatians, stepping back into our context here, as we beg this question, is, a place, it does, is there a place that exists for me within that purpose? There's this pressurization sometimes to conform to the laws of what it means to be who we are. The traditions of this church. If we follow our proper diet, if we follow the proper prescribed health messages, if we have the correct body composition, and if we have the correct spiritual disciplines that we follow to a T, then we're in compliance. And as long as we're in compliance, we understand that we're a part of this body. But if we look at this as if, if you are none of those things, if you do not fit into this, if you have not done this, if you're not quite a vegan, if you're not going to church on the Sabbath, the true Sabbath, if you don't follow these fundamental beliefs and all 28 of them, then you're really out of compliance. And so unfortunately, when you ask the question, is there a place for me in that purpose? The answer is always going to be no. Probably all of us because we all interpret scripture and we all interpret these doctrines differently. And in doing so, none of us are truly in compliance if we keep compartmentalizing them to a place where the laws keep us restricted from what it means to accept God's blessing. There is no place for you in this church under that role. If our purpose is to uphold the laws and traditions of our denomination, our goal will also be to make sure that there are those who do and do not fit within that purpose. And so in doing so, then for Israel, Israel restricted the promise to those who fit the cause and turned away those who were decidedly unclean. But this book is not a triumph of that victory. It is a triumph of the grace of God. And so too does it play as a warning to us as we are trying to figure out what it means to bend to a specific purpose. Paul warns, don't bend towards the law of it all. Paul says there is room for everyone within the promise given to us, that there is space at this table. What's exciting about our denomination is that Ellen White says the same thing. As we were prepping for this service this week, I got to go through the Adventist Church Manual, which is riveting. But when you get to this section on communion, it's incredible how understanding our church was and is and is destined to be. The Adventist Church Manual talks about how to do the proper process for holding a communion service. Page 122, when you get home, again, riveting stuff. Communion service, there's a headliner that says, who may participate? And under that line is a single sentence. The church practices open communion. 
The church practices open communion, which means the things that Paul said in Galatians are true then and true today, that the blessings then can be the blessings today. They quote Ellen White directly in this section. If you go to the Desire of Ages and you flip to page 656, her first paragraph says, Christ's example forbids exclusiveness at the Lord's Supper. God forbids exclusiveness, which means your place at the table has already been set and God is eagerly awaiting you at that table. She even goes further. If you go to the second paragraph on that same page, and I love this, Eloi says directly, there may come into the company persons who are not in heart, servants of the truth and of holiness. But those same people may wish to take part in the service. She writes in no uncertain terms, they should not be forbidden. Even the people who came here today with no desire to do anything within God's purpose, if you are here today, if you are, if you are here within the sound of my voice, you are still welcome at this table. There is no dividing line at an open communion table. There is no place for anyone to think that, well, if you only knew, well, if you had seen, I don't know if you heard, but it doesn't matter. Not here. Not today. Not in this purpose. This purpose is for God to set a table before all of us. And so I want you to think these things over. I want you to spend some time, because I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to sing three songs together. And in that time, I want you to resonate on these ideas, to really think them through. Because in a moment, after we do this worship set, you are going to be invited officially to that table, to our open communion setting. And it's up to you whether or not you want to sit down at it. For those of you who wrestled through last week to get to your blessing today, this is a hard-fought victory for you. The goal is for you to make it to this place to accept that blessing that God has before you. Jeff and I are going to run this communion service together, and we're going to talk about what it means and what Jesus said. Because ultimately, to take and eat of this gift is to understand that this gift, this blessing, to become a part of this family was offered to you. Not even to the church, but to you. And you, because of this blessing, help make up the church. As we sing, as we reflect on this understanding, think about your willingness to participate in entering into this covenant. The table is set before you. Your portion of all of this promise has already been provided. God has called you to take and eat, which means that the answer to the question, is there a place for you in that purpose, is a definitive yes.